Ooh, we're doing it with the video this time. Oh man. <laughs> Pressure. I look I look terrible. Hey, and welcome back to Fidelity, a conversational show about the work of design. Joined by my good friend John Rundle. Buongiorno, John. Hello. <laughs> That's the most boring intro ever. I know. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't speak any other languages. <laughs> well, neither can I, obviously. <laughs> Buongiorno. Um, so uh, I can't believe that Like we've done an entire season of this, man. I know. And it's wild. Here we are, really? well into November. And uh, now hopefully tech companies everywhere are starting to think about like, you know, ramping things down before the yep. holiday season. And hopefully you listeners are also thinking about how you're going to be spending some time with friends and loved ones. Um, how about you, John? You taking any quality time off this year? Yeah, I actually just put in the time that I'm going to be off in the work day, my favorite design tool ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Don't, let's not talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we can't talk about work day. Uh, um, no, yeah, I'm taking a couple of weeks off, actually. I think nice. I'm going to be off from like the 23rd to the 6th of January. Yeah. So you're you're going to be like pulling espresso shots constantly yeah, or all the playing time. some guitar. I mean, I do that all the time anyways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any plans? What about you? Uh, not really. Not, not really. Nothing specific. I mean, Christmas right. stuff is always fun. And then yeah. just relaxing. Yeah, I mean, as much as you can with two kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, fair. Um. Yeah, I, I've I've got a stack of books, um, and I have oh, nice. this like weird habit of just buying books and keeping them in a stack and just not reading them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make some progress on it this year. Uh, yes, nice. uh, I got an Optimus Prime Lego set for my Ooh. birthday, um, so I'm looking forward to finishing that guy up. Yeah, it's gonna be sweet. Happy belated birthday, by the way. Thanks, man. That's great. Um, That's cool. You know, I'm I'm in a bit of a contemplative mood usually this time of year. And, uh, you know, I changed jobs this year. I went on a diet. Yeah. I lost a bunch of weight. Um, I'm probably, like, adopting a dog next month. I'm not sure if I told oh, you nice. that. No. Uh, so, yeah, cool. lots of stuff changed in uh, 22. Um, and I'm trying to think about, like, what I learned this year uh, that has changed me. And I usually land on a few things every year. And I think I've landed on just, like, one this year. Um, and I can, I think, confidently summarize it in a maxim. And it's lower the bar and raise mm. the floor. And... I'll, I'll talk a bit more about that. Like, I think as humans, like, it's pretty natural for us to compare ourselves to our best ever performance. So, like, yeah, if you're, like, I don't know, if you're an athlete, you're thinking about, like, that one time you hit your PR when you're lifting weights or or your golf game, John, right? Like, the yeah. best ever round of golf you ever played. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we always, like, we always compare ourselves to that one time that, like, we got it right. right. Got a great yeah. night's sleep. Uh, we're in the zone. And um, we're always trying to think of that that one time as being the bar. Um, and anything less mm. than that is sort of a failure, right? And I think like yeah. the same goes for our work in design as well. Like not all days are going to be good. Like I, I mess up all the time. Not all your reviews are going to get approved. Um, not all your prototypes are going to kill it. Um, <laughs> so instead of like setting myself up for failure, I've been spending more time just like trying to raise the, the, the floor instead of raising that yeah. bar. So it's things like, practicing my prototyping skills every day mm-hmm. trying to improve my writing and like my spoken communication um and i think like every day is still challenging i'm just focused on building that system for doing work in the long term right mm-hmm. and like we were just talking about origami and geeking out just before we started recording and i was like man this guy just just cranks on this thing every day and i've got to do the same like 
your your mastery of that tool is just like super inspiring to me. So I, I try to show up every day, learn a new patch or learn a new tool in origami um, so I can make my prototyping better. I think that's what yeah. I ta- I'm talking about in terms of like raising the floor. It's not right. about those like those prototypes that just kill it. They're like, yeah. well, what are those things that raise my everyday skills, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, that, that's where I'm at with like what I learned this year. And I'm pretty happy with it. I think it's really put me in a better mind space and I'm just, just playing for the long term. That's cool. Actually, ironically, um, not to bring golf back into it every <laughs> single time we talk about something, but I, golf actually has, it's one of the only sports that has like th- that exact analogy as a, as part of its like method of scoring. So in golf, there's this system called like the handicap system, which is like what you were, and it, and they use it to like rank players worldwide. Like you have like an official handicap, which is like, it kind of represents what you would shoot in a round. And so if you're ever in a tournament, you can actually, or even with your friends, you can actually play more competitive matches with someone who's at a lower skill level than you because it's like, it's it uses the handicap system to like award additional strokes or like, like or take off strokes from the other player who's at a higher handicap than oh. the one at a lower. But the really interesting part about how it works is that it's totally based on like, what you what your potential is not like what you actually shoot every single time you play golf Mm. so for instance like i think mine's around an eight handicap right now like which is in like a bit of the lower range for amateurs but um technically that doesn't mean that every single round i will shoot like eight over on a on a round of 18 it also takes into account like the difficulty of the course like every course is like a rating um to determine um that but like you would roughly think that like that means I shoot an eight over in a round of 18 but the interesting part about the handicap the way it works is that when they their whole like algorithm for figuring out is really based on like your top two to three rounds over a course of like a lot of different rounds and it takes like some averages into account as well but it's not truly like you will shoot that every single time and like it basically is saying like that's not the bar like they you're not expected to shoot eight over every single round of golf. It's that you have the potential to shoot that well and you will in an average of like 10 rounds, you will probably do that once, but you're not going to do it every single time. So it's actually like, it's actually very similar to that idea where that that official handicap system is based on this idea that you, your bar is always higher and you're probably going to average out below it, but you have the potential to always like hit that mark every once in a while. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I've yeah. heard the term before, but never understood it until you just explained it to me. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, fascinating. It's interesting how that's actually built into the game. Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really interesting. And I, now you're encouraging me to play golf too. <laughs> uh, it's an expensive I've hobby. A, don't don't do it. Don't do it. I've got a, a two thousand dollar espresso machine in my shopping cart, <laughs> thanks to you. Uh, now I'm thinking about playing golf. There you uh, go. What did you learn this year, John? Yeah, um, I'm really bad at reflecting on stuff. I'm just like I'm. A, my my wife always jokes that I'm like I'm not good at thinking about the past or the future. I just like I'm always <laughs> just like today. Um, but I mean, if I were to think back on this year, I think one of the things that I've developed more is just like kind of stronger opinions about things that I care about within the design process and how we as designers like build projects and work with others and. I remember in the past, I've always been very like, I'm I'm always very open to like everyone else's ideas and suggestions, but I think I've just like started to, this year I've noticed just more like honing into my own strong opinions and like sticking to some more 
of my own principles or, or things mm-hmm. that I care about and being a bit more vocal about that than maybe I used to in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's related to all the conversations we're having, like stuff like fidelity when we've talked about it. Like, I don't know, I used to, I used to shy away from saying like, oh, I jump into high fidelity because I thought like that wasn't the right way. But now that I've talked to more people about it and, and I just feel more confident that like there are definite advantages of doing it a certain way, I just, I'm more opinionated about doing it and not being ashamed of, Hey, I do this process a little bit different. So yeah, there's that. And I think like the thing that we are going to talk about today is this idea of leaning into design superpower when it comes to creating new projects. Like I think what I've seen is, is a lot of designers tend to adapt a product manager's process when creating a new project, writing a brief or um, being very like document focused but like we're designers, we have the ability to visualize uh, solutions and why are we not like leaning into that more, um, like using our superpower, using our craft to help to move a project forward or to get that idea off the ground. Um, and I've just been, I don't know, I found myself talking about it more yeah. within our team and with other people. And so I think like just, yeah, I've been this year just kind of developing more of that idea of really leaning into what I feel strongly about and not being afraid to, to be vocal about that and share those feelings. Yeah. I, I respect that. I mean, I, I, I feel the same. Like I, I think, I guess just talking to you a bit more and just sort of validating some of my inner thoughts around like how we work and yeah. feeling like, well, you know, I, 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 of course I respect your opinion on it, but knowing that you feel the same about a lot of these things, it's like, Oh, okay, well maybe it's okay to talk about it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think we can both agree that like we could be entirely wrong but, we could. Maybe it's just the two of us, like our own little, yeah. <laughs> a little echo chamber. But yeah. Um, but I'm also open to the idea that that I could be wrong. But yeah. We're not yeah. going to get to wrong until we say something about it. So I'm just right. going to say it, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Agreed. Hundred um, percent. But you know, everything you're saying is a great segue into. Um, um, I think the, the title of this chat, which is about a design-driven process, and mm-hmm. I think you you've brought this up before. This idea that um, uh, you know we oftentimes as designers we lean into whatever the product org we work in happens to, to think about solving problems. I, I'd like to hear it from you. Like I, I don't know enough about, and I haven't really thought enough about this topic to really define what a like a design-driven process looks like. Right. What does that look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure it takes on a lot of different forms, um, and it can be different for for different people. But like the way that I think about it is, is just like going into a project with more of a a focus of like jumping into the design elements of that mm-hmm. project earlier on. Like it doesn't, and it doesn't have to be high fidelity. I mean, I I sometimes tend to do that, but like even just sketching out a solution, and I think the reason why I see it as design driven is that like you can go into a discussion, let's, let's say you're with like your, your product folk and engineering in a, in a conversation about, okay, how are we going to solve this problem that we have? And what I see as a design driven process is you as a designer going into that conversation or coming out of that conversation with, I'm going to sketch something out and then we'll come back and we'll chat about that sketch and see like, if we align on this rough solution, right? It's like going about it that way where you can come back to the group and be like, here, here's what I'm thinking. Do we agree or do we disagree? Because I think one of the disadvantages 
of going more of like a product driven process, which in my mind goes more to, okay, we have this problem. Let's break it down into a project brief with like principles and some research and all these things, which are great. Like there's nothing wrong with those things. Mm -hmm. But sometimes what happens is when you spend too much time in that stage of the process, you have this a bit of like a false sense of alignment where everyone reading that doc is sort of visually thinking about something a little bit different from the next person. But you don't know about that until you get to the design stage and you go, oh, actually, I was thinking of something totally different than that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so what I think what what I think it's great about starting with the design first, even if it's like very rough, even if it's like not at all what the solution is going to be, it just gets the ball rolling in a very different way where you can as a group, you can all look at this thing. And now you're talking about the same design like you're you're all you may have different ideas in your mind, but now that you can see it physically, you can say like, no, I don't think it's that. I think it's this. Right. And and you have a more healthy conversation because you're talking about the same thing. Um, I remember there was like a, a an internal series produced here at Shopify that the shop team had done. And there was a few of the like design and product leaders talking and one of the analogies in this in this whole context of design driven process was the idea that like with an architect they don't start with technical blueprints of what the building's going to look like they start with a sketch there's they sit down with the client or whoever it is and they just sketch out ideas and then once they've got an idea of what the building's going to look like then they start doing all the like technical drawings and the blueprints and all those more specific details and I think there's there's an element of that that like we can do more as designers. We we have a unique skill set that we can bring to the table, which is the ability to visualize, to sketch, to design. Mm-hmm. Um, so why are we not doing more of that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a great description. And um, I was I, I always come back to uh, rather I go back and forth between you know starting in a document or and mm-hmm. writing principles and defining problems and, and using words and just like jumping straight into like how can I make this problem more relatable right, right. I think like maybe that's what you're talking about um, yeah. yeah is that like by visualizing something you solicit a lot more opinions because instantly mm-hmm. people understand it like yeah oh I get it I get what John is trying to say yeah um, because it's right in front of us and like this is right. as close to what the user is going to experience right mm-hmm. um so that's one way to look at it. I guess the other way too is that like sometimes sometimes a, a problem outside of the solution needs to be described in a visual way. And sometimes maybe that's a right. diagram. Maybe that's some sort of like yep. uh, like a flow chart of like here are the points where this process is failing for the user. Um, and if we can um, break those things down, um, it instantly becomes more um, discernible than just looking at a block of text and trying mm-hmm. to discern mm-hmm. what that problem is, right? So I think visualization is absolutely important. I think like where um, people sometimes get tripped up on design-driven process is the difference between design-driven and design-led. Right. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know how you feel about this. We've never talked about this, so this this should be interesting. Um, <laughs> like, I think like, when people say design led, I think it's oftentimes um, this idea that, you know, design needs to be at the table. We right. need to be involved in every single decision um, and we need to be accountable for like defining and delivering business outcomes, that kind of stuff. 
I think like we're actually living in that age right now where after like, mm-hmm. you know, quite a quite a few years of just being visual designers, designers are now at the table. And um, I, th- I think it makes me uncomfortable, comfortable because like I, I don't feel qualified to be that kind of person. Like I'm not right, a right. strong and impactful leader. Then I, I started, I, I read this article, this rather contrarian article uh, about John Maida, who, who works at, who used to work at Automatic. I'm not sure if he still does. Um, it's an article in Fast Company. Um, and I just want to share a quote with you, John, because okay. I want to see what you think about this. So let me read yeah. a little excerpt. I'll, I will leave a link to the article um, in the show notes. So quote, he, meaning John, says that design should be like a supporting actor or actress to the leading characters in a tech company, the developers and product managers. When companies become design-led, he believes designers are saying, get out of the way, I'm the boss. The forceful I'm the boss mentality combines with design's tendency to become what he calls a micro world of aesthetic high fives (laughs) in which designers (laughs) have an invisible language about what good design looks like based on a history of experience that they tend to privilege. And this understanding that designers together um, uh, at the exclusion of others. So I don't know how you feel about that. I, I don't agree that that the PMs and developers are like the main stars of the show. <laughs> but um, th- there's, there's a bit more to this article. Let me just, let me just finish off the quote. Sure, yeah. Instead, Meta thinks that designers should focus on being good teammates rather than leaders, worrying too much about whether design has enough influence over a product or a company distracts from the real vision, making great products that solves people's problems. Now, I can't disagree with that. That is the core problem we're trying to, yep. to work on. That's the real vision. But I, I hesitate to say that like we're sort of a supporting role. I think we're yeah. like, I think we're one of those legs. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, where I agree with John Maida is that we're not the star of the show. No. I don't think we yeah. should aim to be. I think no. it, I think that's, that's arrogant. And I think it's, this, um, this is a very strong opinion. So someone's going to flame me for this. <laughs> it's arrogant to think that we're at the top of the chain. Right? Yes. We're 100%. at the top of the chain of people that care about a very specific part of a product. That's yes. true. But I don't yeah. think we're the star of the show. Um, I, yeah. I don't know. What, what do you think about that? No, I mean, I 100% agree with you. I disagree with some of those main pieces. Like, I think this is like, an, this is like a classic example of like trying to swing the pendulum back like in a very opposite direction of an idea. Mm. Like, I, I can see sort of probably where he's coming about. He's probably like experienced places where design has taken that, like I'm the star, we're the star, like everything goes through design. And I don't think that that's right either. Like I think, and then on the flip side, I don't think design should be a supporting role to product and engineering at the same time right. either. Like it should be even like, why are we, why is anybody ahead of anybody? Like nobody should be like product design and engineering need to work in sync. The best teams are the ones where no one is, Draw, like the lead like it's it's those three people like those people from those three groups doing that together collaboratively and using each of their unique skills to make the best possible product decisions and like yeah. design skill is the ability to visualize product skill is the ability to like think more about business outcomes and like longevity and scalability and that stuff engineering's strength is the ability to like understand how this is actually going to get built like in a lot of cases, engineering is one of the most important in the sense that like if they're not there, 
nothing's getting them user ever, right? Like yeah, exactly. Um, so no one in my mind, no one should be taking that like lead role or that primary role. It's mm-hmm. a supporting cast of everybody together. Um yeah. That ultimately does it, and I and I and again, I think like maybe this is one of those. I'm gonna like say something controversial to like flip the script. You know what I mean? Like and <laughs> and it's like it's 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 my like my personal pet 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 peeve is around that concept of of mobile first design, right? Which right. is like totally with the same intent. It was like everything's been so like desktop first, so like let's flip it and be like you should start mobile first. And my my hot take is that like it's not mobile first or desktop first. It's like it's it's the outcome based on where you're designing it for that should be first. And yeah. it you could be it could be different for mobile than it is for desktop. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. But like it's not like one over the other or one first before the other. I, I think um, that's as balanced as an approach as we can we can get to. Right. I, I yeah. So I agree with that. Um, so I, I guess, sorry, that, that was a long tangent just to say that there's a difference between what you're describing around yes. design-driven process yes. versus design-led. Well, I yeah. think we're yeah. not in any world are we saying that we're the stars, No, we're the bosses. That, that's yeah. not it at all. No. Um, and even if, even if design is coming up with these initial sketches or these initial designs, that's not... That shouldn't be design being like, we've made the decision. This is the best yeah. possible solution, right? It's more of like, here's a quick, rough take at an early solution. Let's discuss this now as a group of product design and engineering and say, what do we agree with? What do we disagree with? Where are there, where are there things that we still need to answer questions about? Like in what I've seen in terms of doing this work, the best top possible outcome is actually like more questions being asked and more unclear answers because of that design, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, this is something I've tried to lean into more this year within our team at Shopify where I've been doing more of like kind of forward-facing vision prototypes of what if we were to invest in this area and what would that look like? And, the, and I'm taking this design-driven approach of like, I'm just going to put something out there that I think could work for this thing. Yeah. And then share it with my my product and engineering counterparts, and say, what what like does this work? What do you guys think? And the best versions of that have always been this like series of like f- ten more questions being asked because of that design and being like, okay, we need to like. But the the main underlying element of it is that like we're all talking about now the same thing. We aren't talking about some hypothetical that we're not sure if we align or not yet. Whereas like when we have that thing to look at, we're now speaking the same language. We're all seeing the same thing and we can actually more accurately reflect our opinions about that thing and, mm-hmm. and have all those additional questions come up in much more like level of confidence. So we can go into more research. We can go into more data gathering or actually go into a project brief with a sense of alignment within the group that we didn't have if we hadn't started with some kind of visual. There's something you said that I like, I feel pretty strongly about, it, and it's that you do the thing, whether it's a wireframe or, or whatever, a mock-up or prototype, you do the thing because you want to see what um, the team's reaction is, right? And I think mm-hmm. like if I could distill that even more, it's like you're doing the thing because you want to learn. You yeah. want to learn, what does the team actually think about this? And I was watching this uh, thing on YouTube last night. It was, it was dumb um, about like just making 
chicken katsu. And <laughs> you, you, <laughs> there's this moment, you know, when, you know, you've got this piece of chicken and it's like covered in panko and you know, the oil is hot and you know, you're going to throw it into that oil and it's going to like, just going to crisp up and it's going to transform. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's that moment where before I send out a prototype to share with the team, where I'm expecting that I'm expecting it to get crispy. I'm expecting it to react. Um, and right. that's that learning process where you're doing the thing, you'll learn something. Um, and th the outcome of that might be another prototype. It could be a, a, mm -hmm. a product brief. Right. Yep. Although I, I have a question for you. Like, do you ever feel like, um, like I think we've talked about writing as a form of low fidelity prototype, uh, low fidelity yeah. design because it's faster to, yeah. to write something than it is to draw a bunch of boxes. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a difference between like writing a brief and just writing out what we think the problems are, um, and yep. maybe even that solution in a one, two, three, four, five list. Um, mm -hmm. So how I, I tend to do it is I actually I start with writing. I do because right. I think it's right. it's faster. And what I'm yep. and mostly for myself where it's like. Mm -hmm. I think the human problem is this, and I think mm -hmm. we'll know that we've solved that problem when we reach this, and here's how we'll know that we've solved it, right? Those kinds of things. If I can answer those types of questions, I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is becoming a little bit more clear to me, but that takes me like, I don't know, like 30 minutes to, to think right, about, think right. that through and just like really quickly spitball it in a doc. Then I quickly take that and I go and I visualize it like we've been talking yeah. about, right? Yep. Um, I mean, how does that feel as a process? Like, it's I think it's less heavy, but it's still design driven in the sense that like you're trying to get to something relatable as quickly as possible, whether that's words or or something visual, right? Yeah, I think I think the main point is like the fact that you're still getting to a visual that you can share with the folks that you're working on that help to align around a discussion, right? Yeah. Like, I think that's that's the key aspect of it, and like I I think like to be clear. I don't think that this is a process that that should exist on every single project or should be mm. the first thing that you do in every single project. Um, mm -hmm. Again, it's like trying to swing the pendulum a bit where like I see, I just see so many designers always start with what I would coin more of like the product driven process right? and not like leaning into the fact that we're, we're visual designers, like in, in, and to a certain extent, like I know there's another element all within here around like, everyone's skill set around visual design or the ability to think this way, design this way. This is something that takes a bit of time and experience to like learn. Um, but I think it's just more getting into the mindset of like, how can I use the skill that I have to influence or help to drive forward this project that we're working on? And a lot of times in my mind, the places where this fits the best, the types of projects where this fits the best is where it's, there's a lot less, there's, more questions than there are answers. Like it's a more ambiguous problem that you're trying to solve. That's where like this visualization early on is most beneficial because mm -hmm. that's where when it's most ambiguous, you would think that like that's when it's most difficult, right? Because it's like, well, I'm just taking a stab in the dark if it's that ambiguous. Yeah. But like the point of taking a stab in the dark and that stage is that then when you share it with other people, you instantly know if you can rule out that stab in the dark or or if you actually have something to build off of. Yeah. Um, and it could mean like having to go and do another visual if you're that far off. Like if everyone's like, yeah, no, this is definitely not what we want to do. That's still a learned, that's still something you learned through 100%. doing that. That's like really important. Um, whereas on the flip side, I think starting with more product-driven process is when maybe there is a little bit more confidence around an idea or maybe there is a little bit more 
that we know already that we can put and we and there's less and ambiguity and everyone is kind of already on a similar page then maybe you don't need to start with that like visual first um so i I, it's definitely uh it's not like one size fits all as is the design process always like you can't apply the same method every single time and and anticipate that it's going to be successful but it's more of like here's another way to think about it another thing to add to your toolkit Mm -hmm. another way to approach a problem and the more you try these other methods, the more you'll figure out which ones work for you, which ones don't. Where was their success? Where was their failure? Sage advice from John Rundle. <laughs> um, I, I have a, a, a controversial question to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I guess to start to the story, like I once did something just like we're talking about where right. there's a nebulous problem. And mm-hmm. you know what? I said, fuck it. I'm just going to take a stab in the dark. And I got called out for this because they're like, oh, you're, you're just jumping too quickly to the solutions. We haven't really defined the problem yet. But my reaction to that feedback was that like, hey, you know, I did this thing and we're all looking mm-hmm. at it and we're all thinking, no, we haven't solved the right problem. I think that's That's progress. a win. Yeah. Right? No, that's progress. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you agree <laughs> because a bunch of people didn't. Um, th- this this was a little bit earlier in my career where I was like, you right. know, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go do it, right? And yeah. I don't I don't have a lot of like pedigree around like product design. I don't know how things work in the industry, so I just did it. I just mm-hmm. did what I thought was natural. Um, but I'm glad you think that it was. I I thought it was a win too because yeah, I'm okay to throw this thing away. And that yeah, they're they continued to rail on me. They're like, oh, well, you spent like, you know, you spent an entire day on this. I'm like, so? Yeah. Like, would you, we could have spent weeks looking at this document, trying to decide whether we nailed the right problem or not. But in a day, in a Mm -hmm. really quick day, I did a prototype. We decided that this is not the solution. And I think, I think that's progress. So I I think, I don't know how you would react to it. I, I just sort of. I mean, I was younger and I didn't know how to push back. And I was just like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, I won't do that again, right? Um, like, how would, how would you react to that now? If someone said, John, you're just jumping to solutions. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think I would just say like, well, did it like, did it move things forward for us? Did it like provide a bit of clarity that we didn't have, that we might not have had? Like, we all, like, I would think I would like throw it back in the sense of, okay, well, we've all just agreed that we don't think this is the right direction. So we're, we've kind of moved forward one step. And I think I think part of it is like how you come into those too. Like I don't think I think that's something to learn and gain experience over like over time as well. Is that like you should set the expectation with this work, right? Like mm-hmm. ideally, ideally that's a conversation you have before you even go and visualize it, right? Is that like, hey, I think I think we should go and just visualize a quick idea for this, and it'll help us kind of just like talk about the same thing easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you were, if you were setting that expectation up ahead of time, then you're never going to like run into that problem of everybody being like, why did you go and do that? Right. Like, I think probably more of the issue is like, no one knew that you were even going to come to back with, here's an idea. Right. So I think like aligning on the fact that this is what you're going to do as part of the process, it obviously I think helps. Right. Cause then you can flesh out like whether people agree with that or not. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I yeah I think there's different ways to approach it, but I still think it's important to at least consider it, right, and um, see like where that could fit and when it makes sense. 
I suppose it's a cultural thing too, right? Like I think, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, ever since I've uh, sort of progressed in my career, I haven't come across a place where like I'll just come with something and someone's going to give me a hard time for jumping too far ahead. Like mm-hmm. I, I think it's better than a lot of people sort of bring to the table. And like um, yep. one, one of my habits now when I work is uh, don't come empty handed. And like, right. even if it's just like, a word doc or I'm, I'm doing a really rough prototype of something, I bring something um, yeah. because I think yeah. like I want, if, if you're going to book an hour meeting to meet yeah. with like your cross-functional partners, I think you should make some progress there. And I think like, yeah. I think it's our job as designers to help facilitate that process, not mm-hmm. entirely on us, but like, why not? If you have the skills and the tools to like make an yeah. origami prototype or even something quick uh, in Figma, why not do that? It takes you what thirty minutes to just you know take a step yeah. in the dark, and then you come, and then you make progress that way. Uh, so yeah, well, it's and cultural. I and well, and I'm of the opinion that like everyone in that group should be doing that, and and within the context of their skill set, right? Like, mm. it would be ideal if engineering came into that conversation with like, hey, here's some tech that you probably didn't know exists that we could like do like. Like, hey, we could use machine learning to solve this thing. And if everyone in the room's like, whoa, I didn't realize we could, right? Like, that's engineering bringing their expertise into that conversation with a potential solution. And maybe you don't end up using machine learning to solve the problem. But, like, they've come into that conversation with, like, hey, here's one way that I know about, that I'm familiar with, that I can speak to. And it might, like, move the the idea forward. Same for product. They can come in with it, into it with, like, well, here's the like opportunity size um, yeah. for like why X might work, um, and then you can debate that as a group. So, like, I think it's more of like the idea that everyone should use their superpower, use their skill that they have to bring ideas and potential solutions into early product like process. Like, that's just uh, I just think it's it's weird to me that that doesn't happen that often. Right. When like that's the whole point that we have the three different like those main. I mean, yeah, there are other people who are involved, too, like researchers and others. Like I don't want to limp. I don't want to take those people out of this, too. But I just find like a lot of product teams are that like trifecta product design engineering. But like, why don't we have more of that? Why don't we have more of everyone in that group bringing something that they know that they're familiar with, that their skill leans into and bring that into the discussion and using that to like create the best possible outcome. Because if any one of those people are the primary driver, going back to those quotes from before, then you're only ever going to solve the problem in the same way every time. It's only going to get like solved by a designer or it's only ever going to get solved by an engineer or by a product person. Yeah. But you're missing out on other potential directions you may not have considered. I love that. Yeah, you just described, I think, very ideal collaborative sort of culture, yeah. right? Everybody yeah. brings a little bit of something. Uh, it's like the best parties, right? Um, I, I'm always going to bring my famous cookies. Potluck. And, well, yeah, sure. Uh, it's exactly, a potluck process. Like yeah. Uh, exactly. <laughs> That's what you should start calling it now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I I have a pretty similar situation at work where like we, we have this like, um, so we, you know, early on in the in this project that I'm working on, we would meet every single day. Like at around four o'clock, we would meet and then bring what we we learned that day. And for mm-hmm. me, it's usually like I, I'm bringing a prototype or, or something. Yeah. Um, and then my PM would bring like some insight um, that he's dug up from another team, uh, maybe mm-hmm. a little piece of research that they used to make a decision. My eng team would come with like, hey, here's a quick spike we did on this capability right. that we could leverage, right? 
Right. And um, it's fun. Like yeah. it's fun when like the yeah. onus isn't completely on you, the designer, and the onus isn't on anyone in particular. It's like you're coming in and you're actually being truly collaborative about learning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the I think that's the best part. Yeah. 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 So I just I think I would just encourage designers to consider doing that, like in any project. And yeah, sometimes sometimes the like fully collaborative approach doesn't always work, right? Like there are times or not that it doesn't work. It always works. It's just that there's not always space for that, right? Like sometimes yeah. engineering is like swamped with a ton of things, so they actually can't get involved. So it's really just like a designer and a PM like working on it together. Or maybe everyone's busy and it's just like on the designer to, hey, can you start off? Can you kick this off, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, think, I think though in those scenarios, I think it's still important to like consider taking the design approach when as a designer, Right. Yeah. Like don't just don't just immediately default to like, well, I'm the only one. I guess I gotta start a product way. Um, because that's what a, a PM would do if they were on this project. Mm-hmm. And that that may work, that could work too, but I just think like you're just leaving out a piece, like you're just leaving out the skill set that you have, um, that you can yeah. that you can bring uniquely. And those things will still get figured out. You'll still have a bunch of questions. You still need to create a project brief at some point in time. I'm not saying sure like get rid of project briefs. Like those are important. It's just like where you start is the the interesting piece to just to to think about. Yeah. No, that, that I agree with that. Um there was something someone once said to me um when I was a lot younger, a lot dumber. Uh <laughs> said to me that when you're doing this job and you're feeling like there's a step you could take that feels uncomfortable and feels like you're jumping ahead of a bunch of steps. If that opportunity arises, you should take it. Hmm. And I've always embraced that. Um, as much as there are people I know in this industry who would say, hey, hold up, hold up. Let's, let's define this problem more. Mm-hmm. I've always embraced that. And I've always sort of ignored a little bit that hesitation to move forward and jump ahead. Right. And I, I don't know how you feel about that. Like, I feel like, Every time I feel that discomfort every day where, you know, my teammates might feel a little bit more hesitant to jump three steps ahead, but I see the opportunity that arises where it's like, I could, I could jump us three steps ahead if I just did this thing in our thinking, in our, our understanding of the problem. So I just do it. And Mm -hmm. I don't know how you feel about that advice. Like, is that something that you would tell a young designer as well? Like if you see that opportunity to, to take your team three, four steps ahead, mm-hmm. just take it. What do, what do you think about that ad, ad, advice? Yeah, I, I think that's good to consider. Like, I think, like, the goal should always be trying to get something out sooner so that you can learn from your users directly, right? Like, yeah. that's, if that's the, if that's the overarching mentality, um, obviously there's a balance to that, right? Like, there's, like, a certain level of quality you probably want to match at all times. And, things like that. There's a lot of nuance in there, but like that should still be one of the primary goals. Like yeah. you, if it's not in someone's hands, like it's, it's worthless, right? <laughs> Until a, a user can actually use it. Um, so I think if that's the mentality, right. And you share that as a team or you have an understanding that like, Hey, we want to try to do this wherever it makes sense. Then I think there's, you're well within that realm of like suggesting, Hey, what if we skipped ahead a little bit? And again, mm-hmm. I would like going back to your other example from before, 
like set the expectation up front. Like say, right. hey, I see this opportunity for us to go a little bit ahead. How do you all feel about us doing that? And here's mm-hmm. the reasons why I think it would help us. And it, like bring everyone through it. Don't don't do the like, hey, I just decided to skip us ahead. Here's where we're at now. <laughs> right? Like that's that's where you're taking that like design led approach. Right? right? Where you're like, I'm the leader. I've made this decision. It's it's more of like, hey, I see an opportunity. Let's let's take let's let's seize that opportunity together as a group. Do we agree? Like, should we do this? Um, it, it's yeah. yeah. It's just I think it's creating those what if moments, right? What if we did this? What if we did that? Right? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm going to continue to be this uh, well into my 40s, a brash and irresponsible designer <laughs> in charge ahead. You know, John, I I just wanted to reflect a little bit on on doing this podcast uh, this year. It's uh, man, every time we jump on a call, it feels just like when we were working together and then we would mm-hmm. just randomly talk about these things. And, um, well, we, we talk about just about anything, like anything from prototyping to like the ways that we work. I, I hope that, you know, after a little bit of a break this holiday season, um, we get back into it, uh, the new yeah. year, uh, yeah. I've got all kinds of questions, mostly dumb questions to ask you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know we're, we're going to have it. an interesting conversation about it. Let's um, man, I've learned a lot about, um, media and like, you know, and just, like as podcasting in general, like, you know, learning yeah, the tools yeah. and stuff, yeah. uh, anything interesting that kind of came up for you this year around like doing this podcast with me? I mean, getting people to listen to it is hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to the five if you listen, people out there. We really yeah. appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. We, we, <laughs> anyway, uh, thanks for listening. And we really appreciate, uh, you know, you sharing our episodes. Uh, we want to keep doing this, even if there's two or three of you listening. <laughs> yep. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing more with you uh, in the new year, John. Uh, so have Likewise. a great holiday season. You um, too, man. Don't, um, don't overdose on, on caffeine. Uh, <laughs> as I know you or will. turkey. Or turkey. Or, That's the other or turkey. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to contemplate um, other ways that you're going to encourage me to spend more money. I, I'm still <laughs> thinking about this $2,000 espresso machine now. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Anyway, John, um, happy holidays, and yeah, we'll see you in New Year, man. Yeah, yeah you too. Take yeah. care. The Fidelity Podcast is hosted and produced by John Rundle and Bill Chung. Visual brand design by Amy Deborah. Rate, review, and subscribe to Fidelity on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts.